Hi, this is Jim Crotty, and this is the Crotty Farm Report here in Omaha, Nebraska, of all places, home of Warren Buffett, the Oracle of Omaha, as you know, uh, who played bridge with my father for years. And my father uh, was a doctor, one of those doctors you read about in the Buffett biographies, uh, one of the early investors uh, in Berkshire Hathaway. And, and as I've written about repeatedly on Huffington Post and elsewhere, uh, my dad sold out of his Berkshire Hathaway holdings in 1967, 68, uh, or even maybe 66 to pay for my um, ne'er-do-well brother's uh, education, college education. Um, one of them actually made use of their education in Notre Dame. The other one went to and Regis and partied the whole time. Nevertheless, um, I grew up with friends whose fathers did not sell out and had a lot more money in high school to travel and do great things. So, um, but that's, uh, I sometimes think it's good to talk from Omaha about finance. We don't, I talk too much about politics, perhaps on this podcast and entertainment. And, um, you know, I mainly make my living now after leaving Congress, uh, you know, trading stocks. So I thought I'd let you in a little bit on that world. And I have a special guest today who worked on Wall Street, and I'll introduce her in a second, Charlotte Johnson. But um, she'd give it, she'll give a different perspective. But my take, I was kind of told to, to do this when I had my own investor uh, who uh, took some of my money and that I made through Monk and books and all those things. Uh, in the late like 2009 and he managed the money for a while i met him through a very famous not famous but a great ex-girlfriend of mine april miller in new york city and this was her advisor the late chris marks and um you know chris got tired of me badgering him after the housing crisis on you know why aren't you buying apple buying apple and he kept putting me into like um you know other stocks that were safer because you know we thought the world was coming to an end and i'm like when the world's coming to an end you want to buy great companies so he said, you know what, Jim, why don't you manage your own money? <laughs> and so I made a bunch of mistakes uh, and uh, got into all kinds of crazy things. And slowly over time, I've learned a, maybe a couple things. I always want to have the Socratic view of don't know mind, or the Zen view of don't know mind. I really don't know what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis. But as long as you're humble and, uh, you, you know, you, 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 and you're humble in your approach, you can make some good money. So I'll just talk today. There's so many things to talk about, and I really think this is going to be fruitful um, to do as an ongoing regular feature to talk about finance. Um, I, I'm going to start with just really quickly a run through of the current stocks I own, and I'll try to be super quick on why I own them. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about a macro trend in the market, and then I'm going to bring Charlotte Johnson on the call. So first off, uh, I own a lot of Apple, and I could talk for days about why Apple is a great company. This ticker symbol, as you all know, probably is AAPL. I own BABA, B-A-B-A, -B -A, which is kind of like the Amazon of Asia. Uh, there's a lot of dynamics going on with China right now. Uh, the opening not is grand and boisterous as people thought. But I think long term, even, you know, even though the, the Chinese can come in at any time and hammer this company, obviously they uh, harassed Jack Ma's founder, or I think co-founder, uh, and he sort of weirdly disappeared for six months. I think at the end of the day, Baba, if, if China ever gets back on its feet and does not implode from this housing crisis, um, where, which is like 30 times or like 10 times worse than our housing crisis, the, the amount of um, capital at risk is mind blowing. If they get over that, somehow solve it, and you can do things as a communist country, a totalitarian country that you can't do, maybe in a country like ours, uh, then Bob will do well. I also own some junk stocks like Beyond Meat, which of course is this whole vegan play. By, you know, Bill Gates is in the in the news again talking about the, the transition away from animal products. And Beyond Meat has been a stinker, but I think long term, 
it, it should should benefit. I also own Cameco, CCJ. Beyond Meat, by the way, is BYND. CCJ is Cameco out of Canada, Saskatchewan. They have a, a, a big uranium mine there. They have somewhat of a president in Niger, but, uh, and there's been a lot of, we could talk at length about that, but bottom line, um, my conclusion from a lot of research is that solar and wind and are great, but they're not going to get us to steady state energy as we try to solve global warming. So as people try to meet, as countries try to meet their global warming targets, we're going to have to go back to nuclear. So I think that's why Cameco has been rising steadily this year. It's not a huge growth company or anything, but I think you want to be in the uranium space. You can also be in URA, which is a ticker symbol and covers a lot of different uh, nuclear uh, uh, mining stocks. Uh, heavily, um, heavily in uh, uh, Kazakhstan, which is also a big uh, uranium play. I mean, I'm also related to global warming and uh, the transition away from fossil. I own some fossil fuel companies, but I own um, EVgo, which again is another stinker. I mean, I'm probably wrong 90% of the time, but I'm right. I do pretty well. EVgo is a is a supercharger. Uh, there's several of them. One of one of the, it's not as done as great as I'd hope with all the Inflation Reduction Act stimulus money. But I think ultimately, when that money for the infrastructure for charging starts to trickle through, EVgo unfortunately is a, attached was attached to the government standard for charging. But now that the Tesla standard standard for supercharging is kind of taken over, and Ford and GM and Rivian and all sorts of other uh, EV companies are using or building cars to, to, to use the Tesla supercharging standard. Uh, and EVgo uh, finally woke up and said, we're also going to do the same. So their charging stations will have both standards at play. So that's very exciting. And I think that company will now start to do better. They woke up to the music that Tesla really is owning the um, supercharging space. I, have, I don't have enough time left on my little intro to talk about Flex Energy, but they're a tanker company for um, liquid natural gas. Golar is a mobile gasification, regasification, natural gas play. Both of them are fascinating because, but I think I really bought them mostly on the Ukraine war. I thought there would be more of a push for liquid natural gas. The prices were extremely high in liquid natural gas when the war started, but there are opportunities for them in, in Europe. So like Dutch now have a natural gas play. There's other places that supply natural gas. And natural gas prices need to go up much more for these companies to make sense. Um, I'll just stop there. The big, the big, there's many more I own, but the big plays that I've made my most money on this year were are no surprise to anybody. Obviously, Apple has done extraordinarily well. As I said, Cameco has done pretty well. Uh, but NVIDIA, I'm heavily in NVIDIA, Palo Alto Networks, Palantir, uh, and Tesla. Those are the ones that have done the best. I could talk a lot more. But I want to introduce my guest before we get into this discussion of, of uh, where we're at um, in this cycle and, and this time of year. And this is Charlotte Johnson. Uh, the only know I know Charlotte. Uh, uh, I've known her for a few years, and, and all I know about her story is that she worked on Wall Street uh, for a long time and uh, made some good money there, and has a very uh, very strong analytical. Uh, a bent when it comes to stocks, definitely looks at the things that people should look at, the fundamentals, the price to earnings ratio, et cetera, as I do. Um, I also talk about macro trends, which we'll get to in a bit. But I, I want to introduce you to, to Charlotte Johnson. Charlotte, do you want to weigh in? How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Very fine. Very fine. And Charlotte, you're in Santa Monica today, right? I'm in beautiful Santa Monica today, and I feel so blessed because all the heat wave that everyone's talking about 
I am not experiencing. So I'm like, thank you, God. That's all so I can true. say. It's so day. true. So true. Because I've been in Minnesota the last week and it was like night in the 90s, <laughs> which is rare. I'm back in Nebraska. We're in the 90s. Um, and uh, Santa Monica, man, I tell you, it's hard to, what is it, in the 60s or 70s there? It's ridiculous. It's, it's so in the 70s, I think. You know, perfect. it might get to the low 80s. I'm it, not sure, but it's yeah, It's gorgeous. The problem with yeah, Santa Monica nice. is that life is so perfect that unless, of course, you have a riot, occasionally you have a riot, but basically very rare. Um, you, um, It's just so good. I mean, almost like uh, it's suspended in time because the seasons are so subtle. They don't change that much, right? You feel the you change the season. You feel the change of season. You do? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not. I'm from New York and Chicago, you know, where right. you really felt the change of season, right. you know, right. obviously, but um, I'm actually, you know, I'm actually a little chilly in Santa Monica at night right now, but oh, um, come, I know come fall and winter, I'll have a winter for that. <laughs> crazy as that might sound. Yeah, because your blood's, will, got in, weak. In your blood got weak. Your blood got weak. Just in the evening, just in the evening, and at the beach because it's just a little chilly. Yeah, it's true. I just wanted to say, yeah, the beach is a little chilly. But you know, just in um, you know, taking your guests into consideration here, it's like I appreciated what you had to say, and um, you know, I did work on Wall Street for a very long time, you know, like twenty years basically, and I've traded my own money for at least ten after that, and I'm sad to say that the only way I learned was by making mistakes the hard way, basically. And in listening to you with individual stocks, and I know you've done very well in your individual names, I would really point out to people the advantage of ETFs. Because you can buy, like I've actually looked at my own performance this year, and although I own NVIDIA and I own Palo Alto and I own Apple and I own Microsoft and I own Meta and they've all done very well. I also own Roku, which is a dog. I own PayPal, which has been terrible. Oh, and, that pain. <laughs> right? It's pain. So, but these are all part of an index. So, okay, why these names have gotten killed, the indexes that they're in like the, the um, S&P 500, they're both in the S&P 500 and they trade on the NASDAQ, have, you know, are at highs. Right. So the pain is mitigated by a bad decision mm-hmm. if you're in an ETF. I agree. You know, and you're not paying. Yeah, exactly. Like the pain of Roku and PayPal for me so outpaces the joy of NVIDIA and Palo Alto and Microsoft, you know, it's like Yahoo Mm-hmm. Um, cause somehow I buy more of the dogs than I exactly. buy of the other ones. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, you know, like if you look at the indexes, there's the SPY, the SPY, um, which you can buy, which is the S and P 500. And then there's actually derivatives of those. Like I'm in the SSO, which is two times the spider. So if it's going up, I get a two times return of the spider. The same thing of QQQs. I'm in the QQQs, which has had a huge move. You know, I bought them. I tend to try to buy things when they go down. I've learned the hard way not to do momentum. You know, like I was kind of reared on momentum and buy things as they break out. And then they usually break down. And I have learned that every stock who goes to a new high is ultimately going to come back down. You're going to get another and chance. I just have to, yeah. I'm, I just have to have the patience to wait for it. Because I so, can't see you, I'm gonna 
I'm going to break in here because usually I can see people on the Zoom. So I'm going to just break in mm -hmm. because I think what you're saying is really important for people who are just getting into investing. This is so exactly. started out uh, when I started out on my own after Chris Marks and I parted ways. I uh, in very gentlemanly way, by the way, um, you know, the thing that I got into originally was SPY. So I'm totally at home there. I, I think it's uh, Warren Buffett, actually, you know, back to the Omaha theme. He he says to people, if you don't have the time now, you and I, we talk, we text every day. So, I mean, almost right. every day. And we are constantly, you know, on on the case. But most people aren't. And if you don't have the time, the inclination to stay on the case, um, I highly recommend that you buy SPY because there's some research that came out of two University of Chicago professors, and I repeat it all the time, famine and French, but basically their analysis shows that, that even the greatest individual stock analysts and investors over a period of time, I think their bench, <clears throat> benchmark is like two or three decades, but they do not consistently beat SPY. They do not beat the benchmark. They don't. And exactly, it, they don't. And any gains they might have in some like off decade that beat the benchmark, you as an investor, if you put their money with them, you will not beat the benchmark because they're taking a percentage. So, you know, if they're taking one to 2% of your portfolio every year that could have been reinvested, that lack of money, the one to 2%, plus all the money that could have been made by reinvestment means they do not beat the benchmark. So um, that's a really important thing to say. So you have to kind of, you have to be kind of insane to think you're going to beat the spy, but all of us do try. And there are periods of time when I really, really do beat it pretty, pretty, pretty strongly. But, um, but you know, I do think the spy SPY, which covers the SP, the SSO, if you really have a strong risk appetite, you can go into, and of course, the QQQ, which covers tech, which has been an incredible performer this year. I'm totally on board with that. And I think ETFs are a great way to go because, you know, you don't get into the well, listen, if you're trying to pick stocks on your own, uh, you you can get hurt pretty bad. And, and, and PayPal is a great example of that. And, you know, it's dawning on me that this may not be a company that ever comes back. But tell me a little bit more uh, what you do on a daily basis um, in terms of your practice, if you will. Right. Well, let me just say before that, because you mentioned PayPal again. And this is the other thing is people on CNBC, Jim Cramer being one of them, and Josh Brown, who's on CNBC a lot, we're pounding the table on PayPal at $300. I had gotten out of it, and then I was stupid enough to get back in. The stock is now $62. So that can, you know, and then Jim Cramer gets to say mea culpa. It doesn't help your portfolio, Jim Cramer saying mea culpa. You're stuck with that position if you didn't dump out of it pretty quickly. Exactly. And this, um, this is just to interrupt a little bit. This is such an important point you're making because people that listen to CNBC or Bloomberg or, you know, wherever you're getting your financial news, by the time they're telling you about it, you've missed your opportunity usually. So go on. Sorry. Yeah, no. So that's the one thing to be careful of, you know, and um, I have learned that most stocks do come back you know, that they do come back and I will tend to average down um, as they, you know, hit some low of, you know, a low of support. But to Jim's question of what I do, you know, I'm not quite so um, 
focused as I used to be on things. But I, you know, Jim is more of a top down person. He thinks about the economy. He thinks about the political backdrop, you know, whereas I'm looking at individual stocks. I'm computing their earnings. I'm computing their growth rates. I'm computing their price to their growth rate to see where they are. And then you have to look at where that trades historically. Apple, for example, is trading way beyond its normal PE. And their iPhones numbers are, you know, keep going down. So is that, is that outperformance going to continue to last? I don't really know, but it's something to be aware of. And that's what I'm saying. So, I mean, I'm looking at PEs as they come down or as they go up. NVIDIA, which is one of Jim's names, again, and one of my names, um, I think before they reported earnings last week, I literally sat down for the first time in a while and I figured out the price to earnings ratio and their growth rate and then that price to earnings ratio to their growth rate. And it was like for the first time, I think it was just like maybe one and a half times the growth rate, which would be incredibly cheap relative to past history with NVIDIA. And those are things I look at. And then I look at the chart to say, okay, where are we on the chart? Can this thing go high? You know, at that point, the stock was up. It was moving up in front of earnings. Earnings came out. It had a big jump after the close. And then it gave everything back mm -hmm. from the day before and before. It, you know, I think it opened at maybe 502 or something like that. And it closed at, I'm not sure what what day it, what what it closed at, but I know it got down to 454 from 504, mm -hmm. and that's in like two days. Mm -hmm. so, so give me, give me an buy, go, on. go ahead. Well, I just no no. So if you buy wrong, right? It's so painful. You, you hang on to things pretty long, or are you a both a trade? I'm a both a trader, uh, you know, sometimes event driven trader. Uh, where a stock has been maligned and uh, it's 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 its price is ridiculously cheap, uh, so I'll go in quickly and get out. But are you more of a long-term holder? How, how, how what's your duration? I'm actually both. I'm actually both. You know, like I've owned Nvidia since I think 124, if not even lower than that. Right. Right. Um, you know, so it's um, but. For instance, I bought some NVIDIA on the day it reported because I thought, I'm just going to do it. I never trade like this, but I'm going to do it. You know, I, mm -hmm. it's not my style to buy on a high. Thank mm -hmm. God I didn't buy on the open, but mm -hmm. I think I bought it maybe at 480-ish. Mm -hmm. And then it when it closed down below that or was gonna, showed me it was going to close below that, I got out of that. Mm -hmm. And then when it went down to the 450s, I'm like, okay, now I'm in. Like if it, once it held that 454 level, because I'm like, if it doesn't hold 454, it's look out below. And it was like 400. Mm -hmm. I'm like, let's see if it holds 454. It held was, it. So then I went back into it. So what was the magic about that number? So people who are not, I mean, you and I understand this, but for the average person, it is it, were you looking at his 50 day average? Tell them why that number 5454 was so important. I mean, it's based, you know, it's a chart. It's basically a chart. Right. And, you know, it's a 50 day, like I'm on a daily chart and that's like a 10 day and a 50 day moving average. Right. So it was basically holding um, at that level. And then, I mean, and this is a lot for people to take in. You know, I did a course on charts. I've read books on charts. Right. Um, but it's, it's a level that a lot of stock traded. So you can actually draw a line at that level and right. see right. what stock traded there. Right. And so I was just looking at it and, you know, somebody else might look at the same chart and see something different. That's okay. the other thing, 
Right. You know, they'd be like, no, that's not support. It broke, you know, but to me, that was, you know, good enough. It was close enough. And it held there. And now from there, it's at 487. Right. So at that, that's my point. You can get whipsawed so much in this market if you don't right. know what you're doing. Right. And I have gotten whipsawed and right. it is painful. Right. And that's why I'm suggesting, you know, go into the indexes, the spies, the QQQs, the diamonds, which is the Dow, but that's only 30 stocks because all of this momentum, you're not going to have the same upside, but you're not going to have the downside. Correct. So and people, I have learned, I'll just say this, that there is, that the pain of losing money is much greater than the joy of making it. It's so true. For me, it's right? So the pain of losing. Oh you can God. be happy, happy, happy. And then you take a huge hit. And I mean, like when I was trading stocks professionally, there were, I couldn't even talk one day. I literally couldn't speak. I was so upset because I just screwed up the trade. No matter what I did, I did it wrong. Mm. I said to my, you know, my partner, I said, you just do it. Just do it. I can't, you know, I'm just keep messing this up. And I couldn't talk for a day. I'm like, just yeah. don't talk to me. I can't talk. Yeah. You, um, know, you know, it wasn't even my money. It's one of the things about being a good investor and this is the, I really, I mean, obviously there's other ways to do this, but I think the oh God, emotional management is so important, mm -hmm. but I don't think you should be a robot. I mean, I think that there's a lot of intelligence. I mean, investing intelligence embedded in emotion. Now, here's what I mean by that, which sounds a little woo woo, but listen, your emotions are kind of, um, or let's say your intuition is kind of a, um, it's, it's a vast storehouse of experience and reading and knowledge, okay? So if you've done this a while, and I've done it, you know, 15 years, you've done it much longer than me, but you've been through bull markets, bear markets, crashes, uh, you've been through lots of different scenarios in the market. And um, over time, to use your term whipsawed, I, anyway, in my experience, I get less whipsawed over time. In fact, mm, exactly the, the, the thing that to, to get to, to me, the key to my investing, whether you call it success or not, is you like bear markets, you like corrections, you even like crashes. And that to me, you know, when there's blood in the streets, buy, buy, buy is the, is these kind of twisted slogan, but twisted af, uh, saying, but it's, and I have a good friend of mine here in Omaha who's also a, a big Buffett geek, lives about a block away from Buffett. And his approach is very similar. He loves the market corrections because the market's giving you an opportunity on great stocks that are not, they're at fire sale prices. So to our discussion today on, for example, NVIDIA, you know, NVIDIA, not, NVIDIA goes in massive, massive oscillations up and down. People don't see that in the current moment because it's just been pretty much either steady or up, up, up since its famous May release that kind of showed to the world that this AI thing is for real, this generative AI moment. But um, look, if AI, as you know, could go down, back down to 150 around there, right? It could happen. Um, and so, so... If you really know the company, so I'll, I'll just put a little two cents in for how I look at things. Um, I think your approach is a really smart one to look at charts, and I do, and to look at um, the fundamentals and you know read their annual, read their quarterly reports, and just understand the math of each company. That's extremely important. 
But in an era of high correlation between a lot of stocks, uh, what I mean by that is a lot of stocks trade as one. For example, today is a good example of that. Um, NVIDIA goes up, Palantir goes up. Palantir is kind of riding, you know, riding in the wake of the AI, uh, AI boom that is NVIDIA. Uh, and there's others that will ride, or tech in general will go up. So there's a lot of correlation. Now they go up yeah, at different tech amounts. In general went up. Oh, but but um, so in a high correlation environment, um, it, th this idea of being this stock picker, I mean, you can pick the best company, but if that sector is out of favor, you're kind of fighting mm -hmm. against the current. So like, you know, um, NVIDIA might be the best company in the, in the, uh, you know, in the chip space right now, but if the market turns against tech more broadly or against my, you know, uh, chips, chips, a little bit chips in general, NVIDIA is likely not to out, is not going to buck that trend. So that's why I always say to people, you know, find out which are the sectors and there, and we could have a whole discussion of sectors from consumer discretionary to industrials to, to every, you know, uh, materials, et cetera, but um, to tech uh, and to now this new category called communication services, which I think was formerly part of tech, but I uh, like Netflix, for example, but, you know, make sure you understand which sector you're buying into because you may be buying a great company in a terrible sector like buying exxon like seven years ago when oil was out of favor good company but getting beat up by various factors in the in that in that space do you look at uh sector charts I mean, before you make that a is buy? an important thing yeah like i mean there was one time i don't know before tech really moved this was a few years ago and all the other indexes were moving but the Qs though and i was like there's no way the NASDAQ is going to continue to underperform. I mean, this is like kind of the reverse of what you said. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm buying the cues, right? you know, and then they took off, you know, right. so it is pay attention to the sector mm -hmm. and, you know, and if it's overextended as well, but yeah, it's very difficult to outperform in a bad sector. There's one name which sticks out to me. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't look for these because they're too far, few and far between, you know, as I said, ETFs. And so I own, say, the healthcare sector, which is the XLV, right, which, you know, is up nominally. Mm -hmm. It's up nominally. That's all I can say. Right. Whereas Lily right. Right. is in that healthcare sector. Right. They got the celebrity drug. I mean, it's the celebrity drug. I mean, it's, you know, you want to get... Exactly. So yeah. all of a sudden you have some name that's so, you know, Lynn Lilly at my at cost, and this was from Jim Cramer, quite frankly, is $234. It's now $553. Correct. Right. And the XLV is almost right where it was when I bought right. Lilly. Yeah. That, that's so, so you know, there's no, yeah. right? I mean, things are so weird. You, you just don't know. But I'm just going to make one more point, if I may. Mm. Um, you know, because we're talking about technology and most people don't know a damn thing about technology. You know, they might read about it. They might hear it. But do people know what NVIDIA chip does? You know, do they do most people know that? Do they nope. know, you know, Lily? OK, it's the diet drug. OK, we can put that. That's easy to understand. It's the diet drug or the movie star drug. Right. right. But we don't understand. And so a long time ago, there was a book written by someone whose name I don't remember. Uh, but he worked at Fidelity for a very long time. And he basically said, buy what you know. Correct. So like if you were all of a sudden buying Apple phones and you're like, oh, this could be interesting. Everybody's got an Apple. Let me check it out. You know, maybe I should buy the stock. 
Right. But, you know, you introduced yourself, you know, as the farm report. Right. So I would, and if there's actually people on the farm report who actually farm or that's their main interest, it's like, what about Caterpillar? What right. about Deer? What about Tosco? Um, TSCO? You know, what names do you know? What, what products do you buy? Do you see that you could look at the stocks and understand what's going on? Amen. You know, it's so interesting because I, um, I mean, this, th there's two things, you know, the idea of the outlier within an out of favor sector, Right. I, I think that, that that concept is so risky and it really is right. kind of a black swan almost thing where like, you know, you get a Zempic or whatever the drug is called, Ogovia, I forget the name of the various uh, brand names for these weight loss drugs. And you've got your hand on something that's just an out of control tiger that is just going up to the moon. I know what Nvidia was, although the sector was in favor. Nvidia has some secret sauce in terms of how they design uh, graphics chips that is powering the the AI revolution, plus crypto, plus gaming, plus all sorts of other applications. But um, you know that was an example of something. To your point, I usually don't buy those companies because I don't understand mm -hmm. it. Okay, right. so if you know somebody the other day sits me down and goes, "Okay, explain the video to me," I'd go, "Well, you know, it's something to do with parallel processing <laughs> in the cloud." and uh, graphics chip. I don't shit. I'm just bullshit. I don't understand it. Okay. So, but I do talk to people who do understand it. So if you don't understand a stock, it's really important to talk to people who work in the space and have them give you the layman's understanding of it. So at least you can understand what it does. But Apple is a great example because, you know, I, I own an iPhone. Not only that, I've owned Apple products since whatever, 1992. I mean, I've been in the been in the sector. No, longer than that, like since 1982, 1982, I was working on Apple. Mm -hmm. So I, I've been really part of the ecosystem of Apple for a long time. And, and so when you say, so the iPhone sales are down, you know, I, as a person who owns a ton of Apple stock um, and now by the way, so does Warren Buffett. It's his largest holding. It took him a long time to get on the train. But the thing I understood about Apple, and this is a key thing when you're thinking of buying certain stocks, I knew that the people who were into Apple in 1982 and in 84 and 86 and 99, 1990 were drinking the Kool-Aid. They were obsessed with Apple. And it was a, it was a war against Microsoft and they were not going to this is like, you know, it's shirts versus skins and they were the shirts and they were not giving up the fight. And so when you have a group of cultic, cultish, you know, uh, believers in a product, that can be your base of support for a stock because they're not giving mm -hmm. up. On it. And I found that I made a lot of money on Lululemon back in the day, back to where you live in Santa Monica. I was dating somebody in Santa Monica, the yoga mm -hmm. teacher, but not just because of her, but because I was just seeing all the women of Santa Monica wearing Lululemon pants wherever they go. I'm like, this is insane. Like, right. this is such a cult yeah, product. Exactly. And, um, mm -hmm. and I was right. In fact, when I went to the Goldman Sachs trading floor one day, um, I remember talking to the traders there and I said, you guys heard of Lululemon? They go, no, tell me about it. It's like, you wow. need to hear about this stock. Wow. This stock, because they're in New York. And, you know, the yoga trend had, I mean, the, there was yoga studios in New York, but they a long time ago and they'd like they never gotten because you know you and i have lived in california like we see this trend you know like everybody's buying this product now is that is that did i have any numbers to back that up did i have any analysis of the company to back it up 
To me, I always go with what I'm seeing with my eyes. And then I go back and say, well, what do the numbers tell me about the company? You know, so it's 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 just which which I go first. You know, is it is it do I look first at the numbers? Is it a good price point? What are its earnings? Is it in the right sector? Is that sector moving the right direction? Or or do I see a trend that they are owning? And then I go back and then I cross check it against everything else. So um, it's just both are important because I think story. I'm a big fan of story. Like, what's the story the company's telling? And what's the story the current market is telling me? Like, I really try to understand through all the data, through all the reports, what's the story? For example, the story of the current market is that we overspent during COVID. And so the current story is we created this inflation mess. And I was happy that Nikki Haley says that in the debate, like, the Republicans are just are more to blame than the Democrats. They did. They, they spent a ton of money. And so this inflation um, is now this, this factor in the economy that the, that the Fed has to do it. So that's the overarching story at the moment, because you'll notice the market is hypersensitive to any talk of easing of interest rates. I mean, the market will just go up on that alone, right? So that's the that's the current story. There are other other stories that are important about you know the the Ukraine war and China and you know the the shift to um, you know the effects on work of moving towards more uh, you know AI and all that. That's all fascinating stuff. But you'll find if you understand the current story, when your numbers look good for a company, and you go, why is that company not moving? Sometimes it's just you know. The market has decided that today is risk off, and uh, right. it got the wrong message from you know the Fed chair. And I don't like this, by the way. I don't like this kind of market where everything is nationalized to what the Fed is saying. But if you don't understand the story, you you won't understand why the market's going against you that day. I don't know if you feel the same, but no, yeah. exactly. Well, because you know we have so many examples of this. Okay, because I I don't know something you said triggered it for me and um because there's a, oh you said ukraine right so when the ukraine war was just beginning the defense stocks went crazy lockheed martin you know raytheon northrop you know rocket companies um every all the prices went up 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 because that was the story right that was the latest the latest um, information dot, you know, that was it. So let's look at that. And so everybody's buying those names. Well, the war is still going on. We're still giving them weapons and the stocks are really all broken. Correct. Isn't that interesting? So it's like, exactly. Same thing with oil. Oil went to new highs during the Ukraine war, because everybody's like, oh, my God, there's not going to be any oil. There's not going to be any natural gas. You know, I think natural gas went from $2 to $7. Oh, my God, this is it. It's it's freezing cold. There's going to be, oh, my God, we know this is going to be a party, party, party that never ends. And guess what? It ended. It ended. And all of a sudden, oil went down. Natural gas went back down to $2. And so when you're playing something, you have to be very vigilant to see when that sentiment is turning and when they're like, Oh, we're not playing that anymore. Right. And it's very difficult to get out at that turning point. It's not easy. Right. Because we tend to want to hold on and we're, it's like, well, the war is still going on. Right. And, um, and the thing of it is, is sometimes, you know, 
trying to make sense of something like, why are these stocks down? I literally don't know. You know, I'm not following right. them. I'm not in them. I, I had gone into Northrop and right. it rallied up, you know, it, it, it broken. I got into it. It had good numbers. It went up and, you know, then it went down, then it went up. Then it went, I said, I'm out because I, you know, first of all, it's a thin stock. That's the other thing I'm going to say to people. And I'm sorry if anybody's listening that I'm kind of all over the place, but to look at the volume of a stock is imperative. Mm. Because, you know, they'll come on CNBC, for example, and they'll tell you to buy Chipotle, which is doing great, right? Mm -hmm. But today, I'm just doing today, just today, it traded 141,000 shares. Hmm. Is that high? If somebody's trying to low, get... That's low for Chipotle, right? That, that's low. No, that's about... It's like on the low average, but they trade very little. Like I wanted to write into CNBC when people are recommending it. And I'm like, who do you think can buy this name? Institutions can't buy this name. And that's why it has such huge moves because if you're trying to buy it, it goes up. If the story has turned and people are trying to get out, it's like a roach motel. You can get in, but you can't get out. Correct. That's a true statement. And Yeah, be yeah, careful. And they yeah, yeah. big. So thin names... You know, whereas um, well, it costs it's two thousand a share. I mean, that's one reason companies try to split their stock right. so it gets cheaper. And they don't I mean, it's a psychology stock. thing. I mean, you're two thousand yeah, a share. Yeah. You well, know. it also increases the share count. Right. So, you know, Amazon, you know, split ten for one. Tesla split seven for one. Right. Um, Google split 10 for one, you know, it cuts the price so that more people can get into it right. and it increases the share count so that people can actually get in and out. Uh, you know, that one share, yeah. that one share doesn't move it 50 cents or something or a That's dollar, coach. you know, and you have to look at the spread. Exactly. There can be huge spreads on these names. Right. It's and so, so when they're going up, they're really going up and you can enjoy the party, but the volume is very low, very low. That is and so. That's another thing you have to watch really right. carefully. Well, that's interesting because that leads to my final point, which is about timing. I mean, I, I'm with everybody who says mm -hmm. you can't time a market, and I'm sure you understand that. Obviously, right, you try, sir. if you're if you're trading something based on an event, I made some good money years ago with Toyota. They had this recall related to this floor mat thing with the. You know, and the truth is, you know, there was nothing that Toyota did wrong. It's also we have a situation like that with Hawaiian Electric. Uh, you know, oh, right. they're, they're getting blamed. I mean, I've told some people about this, but again, these are risky things. I mean, but the bottom line is, you know, if you want to make some quick bucks, um, this is really, I mean, this is kind of PhD little stuff because you can get totally burned in companies that are at high risk driven by an event like Hawaiian Electric. Or I think it's called Hawaii Electric. They're um, they're like the PG&E of Hawaii and you know, they were blamed for these fires. And so the stock craters uh, and then comes back up when they, so you have to be kind of a news cycle junkie. If you really want to trade names like this that are hypersensitive to news, which you can do, um, you better be omnivorous when it comes to your knowledge of stuff because, you know, that stock goes up 30% on uh, Friday. Or no, was it yesterday? Yesterday, based on the fact that the early findings that they had nothing to do with the fire. That has nothing to do with their fundamentals. Yeah. I mean, literally, it's just event-driven investing, right? And you can do that, but you better pay attention to things, which brings me- You have to pay attention. And most people don't pay that much. Correct. You know, it's like when, when Amazon bought Whole Foods, right. Costco cratered. Interesting. I was I like, what the hell? 
what right. the hell does Whole Foods have to do with Costco? Right. You know, totally so, opposite I'm, business I'm, model. Totally no, opposite. Completely business. Right. Exactly. It's got nothing to do with Costco. Right. right. And so the staff, I had to go down at least 20 points. I don't remember how much wow. I went down. And I was like, I'm buying this. Like, right. what are you people insane? Correct. You know, you think Whole Foods, you know, right. is going to put Costco out of business? <laughs> Just, and, and that's where it's just too easy. That's the part of investing for people like us. It's just, well, what are you thinking? Of course, I'm going to buy that today. I mean, it's just, of course. You, that's where the market, I mean, you never want to be arrogant, but like sometimes the market buys the hype. I mean, because that's one thing that happens with, with, with financial news is they, even though they have to declare their investments, I get that, but they have to disclose what they're invested in. But there is a lot of people talking their book and they get on the they get on shows and they um, talk this and make sure. case. And you know, the retail investor hears that and goes, Yeah, let's let's buy Amazon. It's like, no, dude, this is actually the time to buy Costco. But you know, okay. nobody's touting Costco because everybody's excited that Whole Foods has been bought by Amazon. But it turns out Whole Foods was never making money. I always thought that was such a funny investment, even though I like Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. Um, but they yeah. weren't making that much money. And I don't think it's been very accretive to Amazon at the end of the day. I think they wanted it as this place, retail place to move all Amazon merchandise. But I don't know how that's turned right. out. I mean, it's kind of yeah. I mean, you could return your pro. You could return right. Amazon things that you know. Oh, I see. Which okay. Great. Yeah. That makes yeah, sense. yeah. 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 You could do so, that, and um, yeah. Yeah. But Costco is still flourishing. Right. Exactly. I just bought. I just bought my tires at Costco yesterday. Exactly. So it's like, oh, okay. Exactly. <laughs> you're not buying tires at Whole Foods. You no, know? you're not buying tires at Whole Foods. No. So I'll end with this little bit and then we'll talk about this and then we'll do this again because I think you're fantastic, Charlotte. This has been Charlotte Johnson, oh, by the way. She's like me, a geek for stocks, and uh, but she's much better at it than I am, much more knowledgeable. But she's been doing it a long time and did it for a living. So I take great, great, uh, have a, great a great amount of respect for her. The one thing I've texted you and started this discussion today, as we often do, I... Um, you know, I'm a geek for I'm a geek for macro trends, and of course, I worked on Capitol Hill the last five and a half years, so I do have some insight into these things. Not a lot. I just had my former boss staying with me in Omaha, uh, Jeff Fortenberry, so we, we talked a lot about these things. But essentially, um, this is just an interesting theory. Again, lots of times, theories about investment in terms of timing or other thematics. Um, they don't have a big amount of data to go on. Like it's, you know, this theory has, was kind of pop, using data going back to 1930. So that's the caveat entire when I say this, but there's, there's three things I'm going to talk about. One is this idea that we're in a presidential cycle. The presidential cycle theory, which is developed by a guy named Yale Hirsch, um, who's kind of a stock market historian, um, is that uh, the market goes over a four-year period through certain phases that when the election is decided for that first year of a new term, the president, um, the actual market does not do that well. It goes up, but it doesn't go up a lot. Then the, the usually that's, as you know, as everybody does know, like that early first year period is when you try to m- get pushed through your big, your big initiative, because you've got this momentum from the election, like Obama uses as a mandate to push through Obamacare. That's when that all happens, okay? And then the second year, uh, that that there's a that that sort of continues, and usually these are things to sort of goose the economy. If the Republicans are involved, or in office, excuse me, they're going to do tax cuts and regular regulatory reform, and oh, that's going to goose the market. But then, 
you know, and then you, all those, like, for example, the Inflation Reduction Act is a classic example of this. Like, getting that bill passed was key because it provided all kinds of incentives to the market for the Green New Deal type industries, like one I mentioned earlier, like EVgo. Uh, and, and Tesla, too, obviously, even though there was kind of a war from the White House against Tesla, bottom line, uh, Tesla's benefiting from that. There's they, they, they get the same tax breaks. I mean, they were able to give the same tax breaks to buyers of Tesla's that, that any other EV maker does. So so all of that gooses the economy. And um, but that, so the third year in this theory is that we're you get the peak, uh, the peak uh, stock market uh, valuations. And we've seen an incredible run up this year. We. Charlotte and I just talked about the big tech run-up that happened um, in January. According, you know, as 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 Charlotte said, you know, tech was really beat up at the end of last year, and so again, from a price to earnings ratio, the sector was really beaten down coming into this year, and and that explains a lot of why it's been on a tear. So, I'm as I told you this morning, I'm looking to get out of a lot of my holdings, like the early part of next year, based on this theory. And also the secondary theory of the Santa Claus rally. You guys may want to look at it. I do this almost every year. I trim my holdings in early January because around Christmas, there's this weird phenomena that happens. Not so weird when you really understand that people in the business of managing people's money want to keep their clients. So they do a little bit of window dressing, which is they, the, the average investor is hearing about NVIDIA, or they're hearing about Palantir, or they're hearing about Tesla, or they're hearing about Eli Lilly, or they're hearing about Apple, or whatever the hot, you know, ticker du jour is. And they um, and they say to Joe Smith, their investor, or J Charlotte Johnson, wherever, and they're going, why are you not in Apple? Why are you not in NVIDIA? And, you know, you're making good money for them and other, and other things because you're a smart investor. But they go, why are you not in these companies? And that pressure to hold on to the client causes these investors to buy these big, sexy names. And so that it shows up in the portfolio statement, they go, oh, okay, you're an Apple, okay, boom, boom, boom. And so that can cause a run-up in these sort of high-flying names at the end of the year and into the new year. The final thing I'll mention is um, the seasonality. I mentioned earlier about August and September being tough. Uh, and it's, of course, as Charlotte pointed out, which is a very important thing, um, there's a lot, there's a low, there's a low um, volume of trading which can cause weird externalities uh, in August to September. A lot of people are away. They're not actively trading in, the, in these months. And so that can be a problem. So again, these ideas are always, there's always some counter, countervailing argument, like that there is no such thing as a Santa Claus rally, that this is, it won't happen this year, or this presidential cycle theory is baloney and it won't happen this year because of X, Y, and Z. And that's all true. But I'm taking these larger trends into account in my kind of prediction that we're going to have a run-up into the end of the year. Now, you and I talk a lot about trading ranges because that's very important, like in terms of the overall macro, like where is the SPY, you know, in, in, in terms of its spread, which was very tight for a large part of the year, and I think has spread out a little bit. Do you look at these macro trends? Are you persuaded by any of the logic I gave? And and where are you seeing the market right now? And how do you foresee it going into the into early next year? You know, I do and I don't. First of all, because the trend, it, for instance, here in California, you know, they were raising earnings quite a while ago. 
you know, before inflation really set in, I saw the increase in earnings and I saw other increases and I'm like, oh my God, inflation is coming, inflation, but it really didn't hit the market for about two years. Mm-hmm. So it takes a while for the top down, you know, the overriding issues to actually have an impact on the market. And then one day it seems people wake up and they're like, oh, duh, inflation. Yeah. Yeah, You know, and you're like, what are you talking about? It's been there, you know, and you think, you know, but there's a, there's a saying on Wall Street, your job is not to be right, it's to make money. Yes. And so it's like, you can be right about everything, you know, but if you don't buy the stock right, or you don't get out right or whatever, it doesn't translate. That's why I would wait to see a demonstration of the macro trend actually playing out. And we've seen it just recently, Jim, right? It's like, We've seen it just recently, you know, where, you know, the Fed is talking and it would seem that what they say should be negative for the market, but the market disregards it and it goes up, you know, mm-hmm. and then they come out and they say something else, which you think should be positive. And they're, they, they're like, no, that really, you know, blue really means red, black really mm-hmm. means white, mm-hmm. you know, yellow means pink. And you're like, what are they making it mean today? <laughs> right. It's so <laughs> you know? true. I mean, I'll, if you like, watch anything, yeah, it's so true because... I, I, this has gotten so much worse since I started in the late, like 2007, eight, nine. I mean, I mean, literally, if you turn on a financial news show, they will spend 45 minutes dissecting uh, oh. sentences from Jerome Powell and looking at, at long-term oh. bond yields versus short-term bond yields. It's like, dude, you're not even talking about individual companies. You're, you're not even talking about no. sectors. You're talking about no. what the Chet, the Fed had to say. It's crazy. What, and what? And then even worse, what are they going to do next month? Right. Like, do you get if any? Do you get that if anybody knew what they were going to do next month, they would own their own island and they wouldn't be talking to you on CNBC? You know, it's like people, you know, pretend they know what they're talking. You know, right. that what's going to happen, right. but it's only opinions. And I realized that very early on. You know, because right. one day, you know, I would. I was listening and I would get calls from, you know, institutional brokers saying, oh, the market's going to go up. This one guy, he would be like, the market's going to go up in the morning and it's going to go down in the afternoon. And then the next day he'd be like, it's going to go down in the morning and up in the afternoon and back, you know, and I paid attention. I I didn't live or die by it, but I paid attention. Hmm. And then I was like, does your guy get, he's never right. Right. You know, but it doesn't stop him from doing it the next day. It doesn't stop him from doing it the next day. I said, what is he like living in a closet or something and he doesn't see the market? It's true. You know, what's going on with this guy? And everything people are saying are opinions and people are driven to know the future and we really don't know the future. And, you know, there's always... There's always somebody who predicted the crash. There's always somebody who predicted the rally, right? But let them do it five times in a row. Yeah. Amen. Because (laughs) it's so true. It's so true. I mean, nobody nobody ever tells you about their bad trades. I mean, they do, but they kind of poo-poo them. It's like, you know, listen, you look at my portfolio and you'll see 90% of a lot of my trades are terrible. They're not good. But as I say to you all the time, like, I'm right on a couple things, you know, every year. And that's enough to make me right. a, a well, you know, pretty yeah, you're right big. And you're, yeah. And I don't and you're it, right big, which is great. Yeah. And, I, and, and I'm right big. See, the thing is like, when I see things going against me, like I have a thesis about a stock and the numbers back me up and blah, 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 blah. It's in the right sector and it's going, you know, 
whatever. It's either underpriced or it's a momentum situation. It's taken, boom, boom, whatever the reason, okay? And, and then it turns against me and it turns bad. And this is like, mm -hmm. the final point on this is like, it's much better. I don't do this enough, but like when you see your theory blowing up in your face right. and it's going the wrong way, right? One of the problems mm -hmm. in psychology, and this is so important for investors to understand, there's so much hopium built into the human brain. And you go, but it's got to turn around. It's got to turn around. <laughs> I mean, I've got 10 good reasons why it's got to turn around. And like, it, the, mar the market doesn't care and the stock doesn't care. And so if you see it turning against you badly, I was kind of use like a 10 to 15% turn against you quickly. I just go, you know mm -hmm. what? I'm going to live to fight another day. I'm out. And if you do that enough, you you get out. You That's why, again, this is kind of an overview of everything <laughs> in investing. But, you know, dollar cost averaging in, you know, just going in at a steady right. once a week, buying exactly. a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Um, then you're not tossed and turned by the vagaries of the market. And you're just you, you've identified this is a, this is a story you like. These are numbers you like, a company you like, a company you know, all the things you and I've just talked about. And you you put five thousand in on Friday, you know, every Monday at ten a.m. You know, and you do it the next week, or maybe you do it once a month. Dollar cost averaging, Google that. It's a very important idea. And then if things don't go your way, you've only put in five or ten thousand, or whatever you're one to two thousand, whatever your money that you're putting into it. And then you get out, right? And then and then you have that extra powder to go after things that are working. And when they are going your way and they're not crazily going bad, you can keep adding to them. And then you see the company perform at a steady way over time. And when the market goes down, it comes back. You've got a long history of seeing it move in your favor, as happened with me with Apple. Then you have that extra powder to, to put to the things that win. And you only need, it's like movies used to be in the 60s, 70s, and 80s in Hollywood. Nine out of 10 lost money. Nine out of 10 lost money. But they made the other nine. Because you never know. And one of them made so much money that it made up for all the other mistakes. So that let's let's end it with that. Charlotte, you've been awesome. Thank you. I mean, as I know it's impromptu and there's a lot more you could say. I hope we do this again soon. Yeah, definitely. And your dollar cost averaging is the brilliant idea because then you're not locked in at one price and you just average it over time. So it's great. Jim has done a great job in the market. And um, I just want to make one correction because I said Tosco, T which I always speak in, I think in stock symbols rather than names. Right. So when I was talking about Caterpillar and Deer, it's actually a tractor supply company, um, oh. which the symbol oh, is tractor supply did well. Tractor, <laughs> tractor supply. Oh, tractor supply is done. And, you know, and then there's United Rental. So again, going back to what you know, like if all of a sudden you see a lot of these or you're watching around, you're like, what's going on with this? You know, what you did with the Apple, like what's going on with Apple? Everybody's got one. I've got one. I've got, right. you know, and I keep buying more. So um, anyway, great call. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really, really had a good time. Let's do it again soon. Take care, Charlotte. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. This is the Crowdy Farm Report.